addiction is a personal journey and it's a personal choice. Like, the only person who's going to get you out of it is yourself. It helps to definitely hear people. It helps to have, like, the success stories. But, yeah, that's all you. There, yeah. There's no one else that can help. Let's dig through the mud together. We're so glad you're here. Join us here each week for Mudlark. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Danny Boltz, and I started this podcast because I believe with every ounce of who I am that our stories are what truly connect us, especially the darker, more challenging parts of them. Welcome to 2020. This is our first episode of the new decade. How the hell is this even happening? How are you? How has this last week of 2020 been for you? I I just am in this new energy, you guys. I'm in this space of I feel so creative. I feel so in my work, but I also feel like I want to spend so much time by myself, which is new for me. If you've listened to this show before, you know that you know, for years and years, I would just try to jam pack my days full of people because I was afraid to be alone. And now it's like all I crave and it feels liberating. It feels really, really good. I'd love to hear how you're doing. So reach out to me, send me a message on Instagram and just l give me a one liner of how you're doing um, at Danny Boltz. Anywho, today, today I am sharing with you an amazing conversation. I spoke with Tom Swafield. Tom is a first first year farmer and practice forager. I met him. Um, he's one of my yoga students. And I just love that we're having a dude bring in the new year. I don't know. I just feel really good about it. I love that I haven't really interviewed any men aside from my husband. And Tom and I just have a really good chemistry and conversation. We're both how do I explain it? We just, we're both deep feelers and deep talkers. And I just love when I can meet someone and instantly kind of dig. Obviously, that's why I started a podcast where we literally dig through the hardest things in life. But I just love that he was so open and vulnerable. We talked about so many things, you guys. We talked about soil restoration, which is totally new world for me. I learned so much and you will too. We talked about Tom's first long-term relationship. We went in depth about just kind of the complexity of that relationship. We talked about how transformative really that breakup was, but how they were somehow, him and his ex, able to remain friends. We talked about Tom's prior opioid addiction. I was so grateful and intrigued to just hear about that part of his life. And he talks about the catalyst of how he was able to overcome that and move towards a life that is more aligned, more him. And I just really appreciated this whole conversation. I I love getting to know Tom more, and I know you will love him so much. So without further ado, let's move on to my conversation with Tom, and I will see you on the other side. Enjoy. It's nice to have the 
compliment. You're the second man that I've had on the show. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it high for the other one as well? Yes, it was. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm familiar with the discography. Yeah. So um, we had a conversation back in the fall and it kind of got destroyed acoustically. So we aren't able to air that, but I'm happy that you were willing to come back on. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Always love to just talk about random things. And... Also, I doubt this conversation will be anything like the first one. So oh, probably not. No. It'll just be our own secret little conversation <laughs> <laughs> that happened in the Airstream. Um, but anyway, I just like to start the show with kind of hearing a bit about who you are. Give us your name, a little bit about your background and upbringing, and then we will just kind of tie it into some questions that I have for you. Uh-huh. All right. Well, I guess the basics out of the way. My name's Tom Swafield, so I'm a... Uh, young aspiring farmer at the moment, although that was not what I was doing until very recently. <laughs> um, I guess I was raised in a series of random towns across the United States, starting with Dallas and Raleigh and Houston and Austin. Kind of just bounced around a lot as a kid because uh, my family is all expats, so we don't have any extended family here. It's kind of just follow the work wherever that takes us. Yeah. Um, And then... You know, since then, it's just been uh, working in restaurants, doing a lot of foraging, and just trying to get closer to food and closer to the land. And just every step in my life has been moving further away from the cities and closer and closer to just being in touch with nature. I love that so much. I feel that. I feel that in a huge way. You should see Tom's shirt, too, right now. It's just covered in mushrooms. (laughs) You have a lot of mushroom shirts. I I do. It kind of just started as a thing. Uh, One of our forager partners when I was working in Austin brought in a bunch for our head chef. And he (laughs) was all very uptight and was like, no, 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 this isn't professional. So I just kind of took all of those. And then it's sort of been growing from there. Right. I love that. So um, to back up, what were you like as a kid? Uh, Well, for the most part, I was pretty quiet from what people tell me. Uh, Very, very good with the babysitters because I was not a screamer or a crier. (laughs) You were just si- sitting there silently. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe not that creepy, but having, having a good time, not necessarily being loud and annoying. And um, yeah, just very bright, sort of like open to doing things, loved running around, playing with bugs, making all kinds of like mud patties or whatever. Yeah. Just anything outside. Yeah. Were you close with your parents growing up? I mean, as much as we are growing up, but how was your relationship? Um, It was always pretty positive with my mom early on my dad worked a lot because we really didn't have that much money and so he was not usually in the picture and when he was is a little bit of tension going on there because i know he wasn't working the kind of jobs that he really wanted to work oh yeah but as as i've gotten older as he's gotten older as things have become much less like oh my god how do i feed my kids we've gotten to know each other a lot better but early on I didn't really know who he was. Right. That sounds, that reminds me so much of High, just because his, I mean, not that the relationship was exactly the same, but his dad was like always working in the mines and like High's mom stayed at home. So he, it was kind of on dad to support the family and it was a lot of stress, you know, that's a lot. And then to come home and like have connection, I bet that's hard. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Especially, I mean, where we were and having three kids as well, there's just a lot of pressure put on you. And it was never good money because he worked uh, at that time. He's a biological researcher. So he does a lot (laughs) of like uh, gene assays, analysis of like, I guess, 
you know, I don't understand most of this stuff. <laughs> Cellular division and things like that. I think he was specialized in yeast. But yeah, basically it was all sort of academia, which Weird. is awesome, but it doesn't yeah. pay very much. So where did he work? Uh, NC State for a while. Okay. Before that, he was at a small company in Dallas, which name I have no idea. <laughs> and then after that, he moved into the private sector and started working with pharmaceuticals because the money is a lot better outside of academia. He's like, wow, <laughs> I didn't know this existed. <laughs> yes, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And what did your mom work or was she stay at home? Uh, she did, but it was never in an official capacity because mm. she obviously was like raising us. So I remember a lot growing up, she would do like custom sewing for people, doing like cushions, upholsteries, or, yeah. you know, just curtains and whatnot. And then she was always volunteering with our church or like working with their sort of like preschool or early education systems. Oh, okay. And where do you sit within the siblings? Like, where are you? Oh, I'm smack dab in the middle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How's that? Uh, you know, I kind of like it. It's a good place to be. You don't have the pressure of the first child, and then you're also kind of not the bottom of all the jokes like the youngest child is. So it's, it is a good place to be in the middle. Do you feel like you kind of fit some of those like stereotypical like middle child like I, I don't even know what they are. I just hear people talking about like, ooh, middle child. What is what are they? Uh, well, I think the ones that I've heard is like, you know, there's not a lot of pictures of you, which is true. I'm like the least <laughs> photographed child. And then I mean, outside of that, mostly what I hear about is like the first child is like if you're a first child or an only child, usually, you know, you got all the toys or whatever you're yeah. kind of taken care of. I feel like middle child is just the opposite of that. <laughs> just everything was like hand me down and you were just like, uh, take care of yourself. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so also similar. I is the middle child. And I just talked about this at dinner last night because he has two brothers that were from his mom's like previous marriage so those brothers weren't even really mm -hmm. a part of his life so much but i was like wait so you're the oldest out of the two now but you're the youngest out of the you're in the middle <laughs> and he just like made this face he's like yeah <laughs> i've been found out um what is your relationship like with your siblings uh it's pretty good um uh, me and my older sister we we didn't really get along when we were younger uh, but now we really get along, uh, whenever we hang out for like Christmas or whatever, we're always talking or working on stuff or just sharing stupid memes. And then me and my little brother have always been on decent terms, but, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird, I think, because we both have very similar life paths. Like he's also kind of working in the service industry and kind of figuring himself out in a non-traditional, non-college related setting. Right. And so... I think that our similarity to each other kind of means that there's always a little bit of a buffer there oh, because yeah. it's like we're just too much the same. Yeah. It, it, does it feel like competitive at all or is it? Um. Well, I, I hope it doesn't feel competitive. Personally, I don't feel competitive <laughs> with him, but because he's a little one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't I don't know how he feels about that. <laughs> yeah, maybe just a little bit. Maybe a tiny bit. Where did you see your siblings? You just got back from visiting family. Um, did you see them there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We saw everybody because uh, since we don't have any extended family on this continent, we pretty much get together for holidays as much as we can. Because yeah. if not, we just there is no other family. Right. How are holidays for you? Uh, they're, they're usually pretty good. Uh, it's a good place to kind of just relax. It's kind of weird. It's something I've noticed every year is I never sleep better than when I'm at home. Oh, like even as an adult, yeah. just going back there and being like, oh, everything's taken care of. I can just pass out. Oh, sleep like a fat ass baby. Oh my God. Yes. Is yeah. it the home you grew up in? No, because we moved a lot. I've okay. never had a continuous home. Right. So 
take us back to like where you lived. So you first, you were born where? I was born in Dallas. Okay. And then where did you go after that? Uh, then we went to Raleigh, North Carolina. And then where did you go after that? Then we went to the Woodlands, Texas, north of Houston. Okay. And then where did you go after that? After that, <laughs> I moved to Austin and my family moved to Indianapolis. Okay. So they, they kind of like, you know, I aged out and yeah. just left and then they kept moving. So it's okay. kind of like they drop siblings around the country right. as they go. And why do you think that is? Like, what is that nomadic kind of way of being with your family? Uh, well, I think it's because my parents moved here in the 80s, so they didn't have any extended family here. And then it's kind of like a weird holdover from the British Empire, because most of my family is spread out across the globe, mm. where there was just a long period in that culture where, you know, you, you were raised, you got a degree or some kind of certification, and then you were posted somewhere in the world. Right. And that just became normal. That's so interesting. And so, yeah, we have people in Australia and New Zealand, and my aunt spends half of her year in Botswana and then half of her year back in the UK, and then oh we're in the, like, in the Americas. Wow. So, I mean, we talk, but not very often, and right. that's just never seemed weird. Yeah. But I, then when I talk to other people... They're like, you don't talk family, to your family? What? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, we get it. We're all on the same page. Yeah. No, I think it's fine, and I hear I hear that a lot. I mean... I keep bringing high up, but you guys just have similarities in your families. Same with them. Like they don't talk to anyone outside of just their immediate family. They're just not connected. They live in other parts of the world. They live in Norway, half of them, you know, and it's mm -hmm. just, it's normal to not talk to them. Whereas like, I just, I, I am more connected with my cousins and my aunts and my uncles. I don't know. It's just whatever. I mean, it sounds fun. It's definitely something that like I've wanted to have at some point in my life is yeah. to like actually, I guess in a reaction to all of the movement and uncertainty to have like somewhere to put roots down. Yeah. And so like right now I met, so I met you teaching yoga uh, at the farm that you are working at and it, you're like an employee there, right? You're not yes. just an intern or anything like that. Yes. Okay. So I would go once a week and teach Tom and then the other farmers yoga, and then they'd give me vegetables. It was a really good setup. So being here, is that kind of like a step for you in rooting down and finding home? Is this a place that you see yourself staying? So far, I do really like it, and it is somewhere that I could see myself staying, especially because, like, as coming from Texas, like, I crave the woods. And, and lushness, probably. Yes. Yeah. Green things, not everything being covered in spines. And so, like, this environment is very perfect for me. Yeah. It's all just going to be circumstantial, I guess, whether I can, like, find a place to make it work up here. Right. And when you say make it work, you're wanting to have your own farm? Yes, I would say the simple elevator pitches, my own farm with vegetables and livestock and grain sort of all integrated into one system. Yes. The longer thing would be I want to restore soil as much as possible. Restore soil as much as possible. And what do you mean by that? Well, we are very lucky here in the United States in that our country has an, an well, it had an enormous amount of fertility when we first started getting here and first started farming. However, in the last 150, 200 years, we've kind of stripped all of the topsoil off of the Great Plains and most areas where industrial farming takes place. Mm. So basically, somebody has written a check that can't be cashed, and I think it's time for us to do something about our budget to where we can actually cash that check. And oh. so that's where I come from as far as soil restoration. Yeah. If we want to keep feeding people... There has to be something in the ground. 
Yeah. So what what do you do? Uh, Sorry, this is just new. I'm like, tell me everything. I don't know anything about this. Well, it's it's funny because it's like something that's so vital, I think, and something that's so necessary for moving forward as people, especially if we're dealing with global warming. And it's extremely easy to do. We know how to do it. It's been demonstrated. It's just finding the right financial incentives. Oh, okay. So for the most part, the way that they grow now on an industrial scale is you put in the plants, you feed them water, and you feed them dissolved nutrients in the form of, like, you know, any kind of fertilizer. Okay. And what that does is you grow a plant out of nothing, and the soil is basically just a medium to hold your fertilizer. And oh. so it slowly becomes sandier over time. And then, you know, if you run out of, say, that artificial oil-based fertilizer, yeah. you can't grow anything in that sand medium. Oh, interesting. So yeah. the I guess the way about going going through is you pretty much just have to stop growing as much food as possible, start cover cropping, and then start mixing carbon-based material back into the land. To make it more like nutrient dense soil is that what that means or yes okay. you, you have to start the you have to start the whole life cycle over again oh. so if you just have sand and soil there's not going to be much bacteria or fungus or any other kind of microbial life that mm -hmm. is really where all of your nutrients is coming from it's all going to be dead because there's nothing for them to eat oh. so you have to start giving them the very bottom of their food chain which is just usually raw carbonous matter whether it's cover crop or fertilizer or you know biochar just anything yeah and then they kind of start their ecosystem mm. and you have to let them build back up again oh wow okay so basically like your farm do you have like a size in mind of like how much land you would have 10 million acres <laughs> 10 million <laughs> acres uh yes all the land if possible but yeah. no realistically probably like 15 to 20 okay and do you so you've been working for marietta and brandon mm -hmm. easily easily yes. right and marietta was on i actually can't remember the episode number but i'll link it in the show notes um has their business model as far as how they're farming is that something you're wanting to take but then also like really kind of create your own yes i really like the way that they have everything set up especially for making it profitable because coming from like my high-minded ridiculous hippie nonsense place i'm like we just need to grow on the land and that's all that matters yeah but realistically there has to be some kind of income yeah so absolutely. i really like how they've managed to basically provide income while also sticking to the ethics and morals of growing correctly and of right. doing the hard work mm -hmm. those they seem like the I, I call it like expanders you know people that have shown you to believe that it's possible to then farm and make money and live a comfortable life you know you can do have all of those things oh absolutely because i mean before this i think what would have been keeping me out of farming for so long was just the assumption that like you know you needed tons of equipment you needed tons of chemicals you needed tons of fertilizers you needed tons of pesticides like right. everything is sold to you as being like a massive kind of operation but then seeing these small farms and especially some of the urban farms around austin texas that really kind of gave me that, yeah, exactly. It kind of opened up my eyes to be like, oh. It's possible to do it on like a smaller scale, but have like that large impact. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, in that sense, the impact is less, you know, you can't feed thousands of people, but you can inspire thousands of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to go back a little bit. So you were in like the restaurant industry. You were drawn, were you drawn to like more of like the financial piece of that? Or was it the food piece? Like where did your just intrigue with like getting closer to food in whatever capacity? Where did that, where was that born from? 
Well, I think initially it was just financial. Like, okay. you know, I, I moved out when I was 18. I didn't have really any money. I went straight into college. So I had to get some kind of a job, which for everybody, it seems almost always is going to start at some kind of restaurant. Yeah. But then being the person that I was, I was never content. So I was constantly either trying to generate more sales or to move to a slightly more advantageous position or to learn some more skills or would something that, would that happen quickly for you like you would just get like bored and be like well i, I need to change this i need to like shift this definitely yeah. yes as soon as i was capable of doing my job without thinking i was immediately uncomfortable yeah that's i don't know that seems like such an entrepreneur like just like <laughs> mindset because i'm the same way i'm like mm -hmm. i've already learned i mean even when i was talking to you about with yoga it's like I, I know this. This is this I know. I know how to teach yoga. What's next? How do I take this to like the next level? You oh, know? exactly. Because if you're not, then what are you doing? Yeah. You know, you're just kind of coasting. Yeah. And were your parents ever in like the restaurant industry or was there what was your their relationship like with food? Oh, and... no, definitely not. Okay. Uh, yeah. My dad is straight up just a what is that called? A pharmaceutical biologist. And then my mom has kind of been in education and communications a bit, but very much not in that sort of sphere. Right. So it was almost on accident that you started kind of on this journey of wanting to get closer to your food in a way. You're like, I need to make some money. Oh, and yes. Then, well, what were you going to college for? Uh, initially, I wanted to do astrophysics. Oh, okay. And so I did, <laughs> yeah, I did two years of that and... It was a lot of fun, and I really liked pursuing it, but what I kept running up against was that I was in a community college, so if I was going to transfer out to somewhere that I could actually get good certifications from, it's going to cost a lot, and I'm going to go very deeply into debt, which is something that I've been trying to avoid entirely. Yeah. And on top of that, it kind of just became... I mean, the only future for something like that is you're going to be working in an office, you're going to be working with computers, and you're going to be crunching numbers. Mm -hmm. And as much as the actual subject matter fascinated me, and I loved learning about it, and I've always been a huge sci-fi nerd, which is probably <laughs> part of where that came from, I just did not want to give away a whole life to just staring at a screen. Yeah, for sure. That's beautiful. And then what, did you drop out, or did you end up graduating? Oh, no, I dropped out, for you sure. You dropped out. Oh, yeah, I... Yes. You're like, we are done. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two, two and a half years in, yeah. and the money was getting tight, and I was really not enjoying the level of paperwork, I guess. I'm, I'm a very dyslexic person, and I'm really not into like lots and lots of writing or yeah. lots and lots of number crunching. I'm right. very much more a conceptual person, mm -hmm. and so running into the standard way of teaching everything yeah. has always been a problem for me. Yeah, I feel you. I, I don't consider myself like a dyslexic person, but I've always like consider. I think I've told you this before, but like when I was in high school, I was, I swore up and down. I was like, I have to have a learning disability. Like I cannot absorb any of this information that's coming to me. And I think it's different than you, but like I realized over time that it was just because of that trauma that I experienced growing mm -hmm. up. Like it was just, I could not absorb. I had the hardest time like absorbing information and now having like, all my basic needs met, I can like learn. <laughs> but when I was younger, I couldn't. It was just so hard for me. School was awful. Oh, I know. And I then they don't it. seem to like 
put in the effort, you know, when they see you not doing well, instead of being like, all right, what's going on? Let's figure this out. They're just like, ah, we won't pay attention to that. Yeah. Or like just maybe throw them into because like I ended up going to alternative school. It was Mm -hmm. like, here, do this. And it was like filling out these packets. And it's like the same thing, but you're isolated. And I'm like, no, I just need someone to hug me. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. Like, please help. Um, So working in the restaurant industry, um, how did you start getting connected to like mushrooms how did you get connected to foraging where did this start so with the foraging that started when i actually started moving into fine dining Mm because like going back to getting bored it was just an an eventual kind of growth where i would keep moving to better and better places and so where i started foraging was a restaurant called emmer and rye which is still open to this uh back in austin and they do amazing food all kinds of great stuff But that's really where I got into it. So the head chef owner, Kevin Fink, uh, hired me on initially just to do their like gardens outside of the back of their patio to kind of make it look nice, grow some stuff that could be used in the kitchen. And then it sort of just started growing from there. So I just started bringing in like edible flowers because I noticed a lot Mm -hmm. of our dishes, they would kind of want to put really pretty stuff and greens on the side to like really make it pop. And so I started with the flowers, and then when I was just walking my dog, I found chanterelle mushrooms for the first time, and that was a big, big eye-opener of like, oh my god, okay, I know what these are, I know that these are highly sought-after culinary things, and they're just on the ground. Yeah. Like, that kind of what is what blew my mind, is being like, You're like, oh, why are these right here? Why? <laughs> like, these are important. <laughs> yes, food is real. It yeah. exists in the world. Yeah. That's so fun. And so you would like, you were doing some foraging and you would bring that back and they would just pay you for what you would find? Yeah, it was kind of a weird setup because I had never foraged professionally and they had never hired a forager. So we (laughs) were both kind of like feeling our way through the dark. And what it ended up being was it was just like a salary where it's like, you just find as much as you can and bring it in. If we want it, we'll take it. If we don't, we'll tell you don't bring that in anymore. Yeah. And it would kind of just went from there. Nice. And were you doing that on top of being a server there? Yeah, so I wasn't waiting tables because at that point I have so tired of waiting tables. Yeah. But I was You're like, uh, I can't smile anymore. You know, <laughs> I can definitely still do that, but can I go <laughs> home and then be totally chill as a human being afterwards? No, definitely not. Right. But uh so instead of waiting tables and because I was doing less days in the restaurant since I was out foraging a lot, I was mm-hmm. mostly food running. Uh, so they had like a unique sort of service there. Uh, they did it dim sum style yeah. on carts, Oh, but not necessarily dim sum style food. Oh, weird. Yeah. So it was just anything you could possibly imagine would come by on the carts and they would be like little additions to your meal. Wow. And so that's what I did, which I had a lot of fun with because it's all of the weirdest items on the menu because they're small and one off. Oh, yeah. And so it was a lot of just like geeking out with people and really oh, talking about. So you like, would explain what it was. You'd be like, and now we have the. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I bet you were so good at that. Definitely. And a lot of it was the forage stuff that I was bringing in, which led to oh, more conversations with people. You're like, and I got this with my own two hands for you out in the woods this morning. Ah, yes. And that's why it costs $12 for yeah. this tiny plate. Right. No, I love that. I mean, just like the whole, you know, farm to table, like it just makes me personally feel so connected and like living out in Montana part time, like we're constantly talking about that. Like we go and forage and we hunt and it mm-hmm. just, there's something that feels so 
I don't even native native. Can I say that? No, that's the wrong word. I don't know what I'm trying to think of. Like, like natural, I guess, or kinda, like part or, of the whole cycle yeah, of life just, instead yeah. of like just opening a can. <laughs> yeah, it makes it just feels really special. And mm-hmm. like, I remember the first time I learned that you could eat like fiddlehead ferns, and I was like, oh my god! And it it just I don't know. It enhances everything. I love it so much. And so, how long did you work there at that restaurant? Uh, I was there for two and a half years, three years, something okay. like that, and then. And at the end of it, uh, I actually ended up getting fired because uh, the foraging, <laughs> it's very difficult to make it work financially on paper. The oh. amount of hours that go into what you're doing versus what you can sell your things for yeah, definitely led to a little bit of tension. Oh, And so that's also part of why I ended up on this farm journey, which is like, I really like food. I really like ingredients and I love talking to people about it. So yeah. instead of you know, tromping through the wilderness to go find everything. <laughs> it's a lot easier if you just grow it. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where that sort of transition took place. What has been like the cultural shift for you, like moving from where you were right before Oregon to here? What has that been like? Definitely going from living in a very fast growing city that's also the capital of a region to here, it's much slower, which I like. That the life is kind of slowed down a little bit there's a lot more room to just kind of relax yeah and it's not so much like continuous hand-to-mouth kind of rat race sort of feel yeah because especially in that city the the like because of how fast it's growing and because of how many tech businesses are moving in Mm. like the cost of living has skyrocketed every single year that i was like living there and so I would be making like, better money. I cannot money. keep up. <laughs> no. <Please> stop. <laughs> yeah. So you keep making more, but you keep spending more I as well. That. So I then know. you're always at the same kind of actual level. I know. It's it's so interesting to hear you say, and it's good for me to hear, um, but that here is slower because I've, I mean, I grew up on Mount Hood, but I've been in Montana for the last six years mm-hmm. and that's like fucking molasses slow. Like oh, wow. it just does you, I mean... You will come out and visit there. I know you will sometime, but it's just like our town over there, less than 800 people. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is an old mining town. Like every, it is just, it does not, I can't explain how slow it is. So coming back to Oregon, it's been like an adjustment. I'm like, holy shit, people are moving. Like, I feel like I'm in New York city right now <laughs> and it's, it's not, it's just like perspective. It's just a lot faster than it is over there. Mm-hmm. So you worked on the farm all last year and, um, wait, was, let me back up between the job with the restaurant and then the farm was there anything in between there uh yeah after that i kind of kept working in fine dining sort of coasting for a little bit but at that point i knew that if i wasn't gonna be at that you know top tier level then i didn't want to do it basically emmer and rye was the best restaurant that i could work at in that area and then anywhere else was a step down so that kind of just felt like a defeat not really in a great place there for a little bit. I had some personal stuff going on in my life as well. And so all of that culminated in, it's time to shake the snow globe. You know, I need to find something else. Whatever I'm doing now isn't working. Mm -hmm. And so gave it a little shake and here I am. And it's been working out pretty good so far. Well, yeah. And like, I, I mean, I can link it to like that manifestation process that I am so into, but it's like every time we kind of like jump off the cliff and do something unknown and scary, I just feel like, it's it usually ends up like just giving us such a return it's like holy crap i didn't even know this was here for me and it seems like the setup you have there has been so good oh definitely it's been a huge payoff and also just like i think a really good like learning experience too because it feels 
very scary to let go of everything that you know yeah. to literally move to where you know nobody mm-hmm. you have no professional references i was starting a career that i had never done anything in before <laughs> so like literally... i promise i'm not a felon like i have <laughs> i have references they're just like millions of miles away <laughs> yes exactly and then just sort of starting at square one again because i was so used to being the person that people would be like hey we have a question we don't know how to do something let's ask tom and now yeah. i'm the opposite i'm the guy with all the questions <laughs> yeah so you just said that you were going through a hard time back Mm -hmm. and with the show that's what we talk about we talk about the things that are hard to talk about um what were you going through Uh, i was going through the end of a basically a slow break of a long-term relationship Mm -hmm. which i had been in for i think by the time it ended it was like eight years eight and a half years damn long time yeah, it was kind of weird because, like, I'd be working with people that were married that knew them, like, knew each other shorter than me and my partner did. So it yeah. was like, oh, okay. And can you talk about kind of that relationship and? Maybe, oh like- my god, it was super awesome. Uh, it's actually a weird, unique position where we're still friends now. We're just not able to be in each other's life romantically, mm-hmm. which I think really kind of helps explain what the relationship was that it was very much a mental creative relationship Mm. as opposed to anything else that we learned a lot from each other and we grew a lot with each other and there was always this continual like striving for higher levels of complexity Mm. which i think seems like a theme in your life oh well yeah for everything pretty (laughs) much yeah Uh, i get bored very easily yeah And so I think that just continual upping of the ante, like mentally, philosophically, emotionally, and like life-wise, eventually kind of burned us out. Yeah, for sure. You know, we were we were young and crazy when we met, and then by the time we left, we were kind of like semi middle aged and very reasonable. And so, going through a relationship that like changed that much, I mean, yeah. we just ended up as different people Absolutely. on the outside. Absolutely. Well, you met as kids. I mean, you're 20, oh, definitely you're 26 now. So, how old were you guys when you met each other? Uh, 17. Children, <laughs> infant, child. Ah, uh, yes. It's so young. And so, was the catalyst for that breakup just like we are two different people and different people and then also just different life paths like i'm moving further and further into a rural kind of slow sort of i want to put down the roots kind of thing right and then she is moving more into an international kind of thing oh okay. so she just got her degree in anthropology and she's currently living in france and she's trying to get a work with the united nations their fowl department i think it's like food and agriculture organization okay that's cool um so yeah those basically our lifestyles were no longer yeah. compatible you're like i want to find my roots and she's like i want to explore the whole world and yeah. travel and yeah it's so important to have just aligned values when you're coming together with someone i mean i yeah it, it's just so uphill otherwise you know mm-hmm. and if you don't have aligned values vocalize them that yeah. that was definitely a thing because i could see an alternate reality where we had stayed together angry at each other continuously yeah. <laughs> but you know actually being open and being able to talk about realistically what we wanted really mm. helped to where we could end that relationship in a way where although it sucked obviously it was terrible yeah we're still able to talk to each other and enjoy each other's presence i love that it's like goals when you break up with someone it's like never been the case for me i've always been like horrific at ending relationships but 
yeah, I love that you guys were able to <laughs> have that. It's so important. Yeah. Um, so relationships then. Can we talk about just relationships sure. for a little while? Um, you're, again, aside from my husband, the first man that I've had on the show, which I love. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the fall when I was like asking people, hey, I'm talking to Tom. And I was like, he likes vegetables. He likes foraging. I like put out a few things about you. Yeah. And the people that came back were like, what is what does he look for in a woman? <laughs> like, <laughs> like just because people want to hear from men, they want to mm-hmm. hear women. A lot of my listenership is women, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I would just love to hear like why. Like right now, you're you're single. You're living in a rural community. Are you dating here? What is what's that looked like? Being brand new. In oh gosh, <laughs> uh, you know, d- for me, dating it's like I'm open to it, but I'm not really putting that much effort into it because. What I think I found, especially in my last relationship, was that I was focusing too much on a relationship itself and not being someone who it would be worthwhile to be in a relationship with. Mm. And so I think the way that I'm coming at it now is I just want to work on who I am Mm. and to kind of build myself as a person, build a small community, have something, and then maybe potentially think about dating. But for the most part, I mean... God, especially after waiting tables for so long, I just don't like selling myself. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Yeah, and you shouldn't have to. It's fucking sick. I I, I would be a f- I'd be a monster out in the dating world. It's so good that I'm married. <laughs> I'd just be like, I can't fucking do this. No, no, this sucks. We'd be at the table. I'd be like, what are we doing? No. Yeah, check, please. <laughs> yeah, check, please. I'd be a monster. And so you haven't dated since you've been back here? No, no. Again, not really let, like I'm trying not to. It's more just like it's not the top priority, I guess. Yeah, I love it. And I mean, really finding your person, it's the best when you're just two whole people. Two whole people, two autonomous beings doing their own thing, mm-hmm. and then there's somehow room to come together. Yeah, exactly. And to be like, yeah, two independent people beforehand is definitely probably the most important thing for me. And I think also just having come out of such a long relationship and such an intense relationship, it also feels like I've had the bar raised a little too much, mm-hmm. where now going into like, you know, first meeting people, you kind of have sort of like get to know each other conversation, a lot more small talk, a lot more like really just less interesting kind of conversations. And so I've been finding that hard as well, where it's like realizing that if you do get into something, you have to wait the time to grow to those levels of interaction. Yeah. Whereas, and intimacy and just having like those deep connections and mm-hmm. deeper conversations because it does start kind of surfacey with a lot of people. Oh, definitely. And that's something I have to work on with myself is like, I don't know why I've always been this way where I have like limited barriers. So I'm totally willing to sit down with a stranger and have like an extremely deep conversation. Yeah. But I'm realizing that's more of a unique thing. It's it not something that a lot of people are comfortable with. And that's something you and I could relate on because it's like, I, I really kind of cringe with like surface level conversations. Mm-hmm. And even though, yeah, there's a time and a place like you're, you meet a straight, like if it's in business or I'm teaching a class, you know, there's there's time for just that hey like how was your day and i am genuinely interested to hear how people's day go but it's hard to have conversations with people when it just feels like it's skimming over the top i'm like i have no fucking time oh i mean yeah beyond that it's like time or interest or also it's like what are you holding back for i know like what are you afraid of Mm -hmm. and but it, it makes sense too like i have a lot of empathy for that because it's like 
people when they have maybe they grew up in a home where their families didn't talk about anything other than surface level stuff. I mean, I have so many people in my life where that was the case and they've had Mm -hmm. to really learn how to have conversations of depth and meaning because it was never showed to them. Well, yeah, I mean, just being able to, I guess, be in that place, you know, it requires, I guess, to not be afraid of who you are, which is something that I'm trying to get better at. Yeah. But even when I was kind of very self-conscious, I was still able to have those conversations, but it was from kind of like sort of a negative perspective where it was like you're seeking that negative reinforcement almost, you know? Kind of like that dark humor or you're like make fun of yourself a little bit. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And what were your, what were some of your insecurities or what are some of your insecurities? Can Uh, we talk about both those? What were? Let's start, talk about what were. Okay. I guess were was, I mean, a lot of it was just kind of self-worth, was just not thinking that I was worth it as a person for people to be around or not thinking that I was capable of really doing anything or that I had the ability to learn and to be like a bright human being. And I think a lot of that came from a lot of the professional relationships that I had and a lot of like the reinforcement that I got from being in just the standard schooling system. As if you're constantly hearing, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, you don't understand things, blah, blah, blah then, you know, you kind of take some of that to heart. And then beyond that, growing up when I was younger, I ran with kind of a kind of a crazy crowd. Uh, I was a little bit of a of a wild child. And so there's definitely there was a little bit of self image, like issues left over from that. Yeah, like what? Uh, Well, I was an addict for a while, an opiate addict. And I think that is the biggest one is that although I'm recovered now, and that was not like something that ever got terrible. There's a lot of guilt left over from that because mm. coming out of it and looking back at it, it's an extremely selfish thing to abuse. It's not like a party drug that everybody's like, hey, let's have a good time together. It's definitely not. It's very much of a personal sort of almost masturbatory existence mm. when you are an addict of those kind of things. And so I think there was just a lot of like a lot of messed up feelings left over from that and then a lot of messed up feelings from like just being with people that were in that world, like of losing people that were close to me, losing people that weren't close to me, just being associated with a lot of, I guess just dark negative energy, just a lot of dark people. Yeah. And just, yeah. Being able to like own that that was a world that you were in probably has felt uncomfortable. Yeah. It's something that usually I don't bring up unless it gets brought up for me, I guess. Uh, because yeah, it's it's a very hard thing to explain, and if you're if you've never been in that world, it's one that comes with a lot of negative connotations, and I think a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I brought my mom onto the show, she was episode two. We talked about, you know, her and my dad met in rehab, and she, her talking about that and talking about her addictions and just things. It it was really hard for her because it's it's such a. I mean, it's you, but it's. I don't even know how to explain it because I haven't really struggled with addiction myself in the same capacity, but Mm -hmm. it's like you're looking back at yourself and like, who was that person? Kind of like, that's how my mom feels. I don't know if you feel that way, but... Um, I guess that's where some of the the guilt comes from. Is like I I recognize that person. It's yeah. not a confusing thing for me. I'm like, yeah, like, I know that guy well. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. And um, I guess for me, a lot of where the guilt comes from is that I is that I know that that's part of me and yeah. that I can 
even now, I, I know it's got to still be in there, and yeah. I just would rather not be that person again, where I would put myself or my own priorities or my own needs above literally everything else. Yeah. Which, you know, definitely not healthy to do. Right. So it just feels kind of like a selfish thing to be like, yeah. Kind of a selfish thing, and then also, I mean, you know better. Nobody starts doing those kinds of things being like, I'm pretty sure heroin's not a big deal. Like, <laughs> you know that it is, and then you kind of do it anyway. But there was also this weird dynamic where it was like, everybody was convinced that they were the one person that was not addicted yeah. or whatever. That Like, they were, they were, I guess, cooler or more awesome than everyone else. It's like, no, they're just a bunch of addicts. I'm the, I'm the one that's stable. Yeah. And in reality, nobody was. Yeah. We were all just a bunch of scumbags. <laughs> and so I think that kind of sort of, that's where a lot of that comes from, is one, that I could be so self-deluded and so selfish, and then also the fact that, like, you know, people were in a really bad place. People were not doing well, and when someone you know, ends up overdosing or ends up dying or ends up killing themselves, you're always wondering, it's like, well, could I have said something? Yeah. Could, was there something that I could have done? Would, could I have reached out more? Is this a fault in, in me that, like, somebody who I was associated with was in so much pain that they figured they would rather kill themselves than reach out? Right. So there was a lot of that, I think. And we... This is bringing back our first conversation. Uh, yes. I'm like, huh, there, because it's easy to forget. Like, what did we talk about? We talked about this and we talked about just that similarity. I mean, I grew up in small town, you know, and it's happening today. Like, I mean, last week someone killed themselves on the mountain and it's like people struggling with addiction and depression, which leads to the addiction. And mm -hmm. it's like, what are we doing as a community? What am I do? What's my duty? Who, what do I need to do? Like, I feel that now, you know, it's so, yeah, I get it. It's just, it, I feel so guilty every time that happens. Even mm -hmm. if it's someone I don't know directly, I've seen, you know, up at the pub or whatever. It's just like I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know so many people are struggling and where, what is our place? How do we help? Yeah, or even if you can help. Because I think for a lot of it is that, that that was a realization that took a long time for me to get to is that I could beat myself up about this, about like people not being able to make it or my impact or my conversation with them having no effect whatsoever. But it really came back to, it's like addiction is a personal journey and it's a personal choice. Like the only person who's going to get you out of it is yourself. Mm -hmm. It helps to definitely hear people. It helps to have like the success stories, but yeah, that's all you. There, yeah. There's no one else that can help. Right. I totally feel that it's all on you. And so how long were you doing that? running with that crowd uh kind of hard to say so I, I would say i was running with that crowd for about seven or eight years but it wasn't that crowd for the first three or four like okay. it took a while for everybody to ramp up to that level you know <laughs> it started small <laughs> as it always does like, but... let's smoke a little weed <laughs> yeah. Ooh, let's smoke it up an apple <laughs> and then it's like yeah so much fun yeah all, when everything was new yes yeah and then yeah it just kind of kept growing from there into just i mean pretty much everything like yeah. i think opiates were what was the problem but yeah. that didn't mean that nothing else was there either it was everything as well what was the catalyst for the shift for you um i think it was my relationship honestly because uh my girlfriend who i was with for that eight years she was never an addict of any kind and she also was a very strong person independently and had a very strong will. And basically, 
that kind of inspired me that like I didn't need to be like this. I didn't need to do these things. And I could see that it was stressing people out for me to be that way that I was around. So it kind of just came time where it was like, it's time to nut up or shut up, you know? Yeah. And I bet your ex, like that was so inspiring because you saw her not needing to do that for recognition or to be seen or whatever. Like she was just being sober and doing her life. And well, I wouldn't say she was sober, but she okay. wasn't doing that. <laughs> You're like, don't you put words in my mouth. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you have to understand is like, we would never have gotten together if, because I mean, if I yeah. was someone who was doing a bunch of stuff, there was no way that an entirely <laughs> sober, amazing person was going to be like, You're the one. <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah, I guess that's funny. What, even when I was saying sober, I wasn't even thinking about alcohol. Oh, I like, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking like she wasn't doing drugs, but yeah, no. No, she was just dropping a lot of acid. Yeah, just dropping acid. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but if there's anyone that you are going to do, I would say do mushrooms or acid. Oh the rest God. of them have not been worth it. Jeez. And what do you struggle with now? Uh, now it's mostly just having the confidence to do what I know that I want to do, to live the life that feels comfortable to me. Because yeah. I think for a long time, especially being in this sort of like fine dining environment slash being with someone who had much more like international aspirations, I always felt that I was having to like dress up or act up towards something that was not who I am. Like yeah. I am most comfortable, kind of dirty, little sweaty in a pair of overalls just sitting on a porch somewhere and that was absolutely not the vibe to anybody that I was around. Yeah. And it's hard to live that it's hard to live differently. It can be hard to yeah, I get it. That's me. You and I do have similarities. I don't know if you <laughs> feel that. Please say say you do. Oh my god. But gosh. it's like I yeah, I just feel that to not conform to what other people view as like normal or what we should be doing or how we should be living. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of courage to live a different life. Or even just being in a space where people don't have to conform. Like yeah. because I don't I don't I mean I love my lifestyle, but I wouldn't go around and expect everyone to live like I'm living. No. You know, like yeah. I just think that if we could all interact together in from our own spheres, then that would be amazing. And you know? I think we're doing that. I mean, I think even you like making this shift and like me moving back to Oregon and all these things, like there are people and the people I surround myself with, they're mm-hmm. doing that. They're doing their own fucking thing and we just root each other on. Oh yeah. You know? And it's like it's a very positive and it's a very powerful experience, you know? Because yeah. then you're also exposed to so many different viewpoints and so many different like skill sets because i mean again just hanging out in a group of conformists you that's all you know all you know is how better to embody whatever the archetype of that group is right exactly um i'm not big on like new year's resolutions but i am big on like new year's intentions and just kind of like forecasting a little of what I would love to kind of bring into my life or what Mm -hmm. I want to let go of. Do you have anything for this new year? So you are going to be the first. Yeah, you'll be the first episode of 2020. Oh, woo! all right. So getting the roaring 20s started, uh, I guess. It's on you, Tom. Here we go. (laughs) Pop the champagne, whatnot. Uh, I guess for this year, I mostly just want to focus on even though I'm living more simply now than I have been, just continuing that trend and trying to remove anything that isn't strictly necessary to just be as content as possible Mm. and to hopefully get rid of the phone that I still carry around. Get rid of your phone completely? Like, kind of get rid of it. Either that or just downgrade to something that is literally just a phone. Yeah, like a flip phone, like something so simple. Yeah, just to kind of like remove... 
the last sort of vestiges of my of my technological life because I love technology and it's amazing and don't get me wrong I will go on internet binges for information for hours yeah but is it more because you feel like you have like kind of that unhealthy relationship with it like you'll look at your phone more than you know you need to yes okay yeah I definitely still have an addictive personality that's part of who I am it's probably always going to be who I am so I just have to recognize where addiction comes from and be able to be like "Eh, I don't need that anymore yeah I don't need it in front of me I don't need the temptation there yeah Mm -hmm. and if you could pick two words to kind of carry you through this year what would they be Ooh, ooh! I would say edify and complexify. Will you explain them? Okay, so obviously complexify, we can just, that's just get more complex. That's been the theme. Yeah. And then edify uh, is to build upon something and to keep building upon that thing. Oh so my God. it's like you love start that. with something and then you elevate it through continual growth. I love that. That's so beautiful. Those are just right there. <laughs> those are your words for the year (laughs) yeah i'm gonna have to write those down yeah i wrote my words down before you got here and it's just fun it's kind of one of my friends kayla she's one of our listeners actually she was like she asked me she's like oh no she told me Mm she's like these are my words for the year and i'm like oh i love that it's just something to come back to it's like when you're making a decision does this fit within that word like or either of these words and then you can kind of i don't know build around them so what are your words then um comfort okay and commitment oh those are nice yeah because i just want i want to find comfort in all things and Mm -hmm. we're trying to draw draw on our next house and there's just like i just want i need comfort and so with all my decisions i want to make sure i'm leaning towards that and then commitment to step into like just that businesswoman that i know myself to be and just really fucking own it and Mm -hmm. i want i know what i want to do business-wise so i just have to do it and commitment yeah so i feel good about him and what are you most proud of of who you are and yeah i guess i'm (laughs) most proud of still being alive (laughs) and having at no point along this journey just thrown up my hands and been like whatever i'm just gonna go get an office job i'm done like it's been difficult but i would say that just sticking with it is what i'm most proud of i love that so much and do you have any words of wisdom for our listeners just stepping into this new year and Uh, it doesn't have to be new year's related it could just be words of wisdom from tom i'm just gonna stick to the ones i used on the last episode which is the uh, oh my gosh now i have to remember (laughs) like what the fuck do i say (laughs) Uh, words of wisdom (laughs) no it's just you know don't fear death a lot of people that I've talked to and a lot of obviously in the life that I've lived, especially being around addicts, is that most people's lives seem to be controlled by fear and specifically a fear of loss and a fear of death. And there's really nothing to be afraid of. It's it's going to happen. And honestly, when it does, you really can't mess it up. So don't worry about it. I like it. It's kind of fucking morbid, but I do like it. It is. It's you know, good. <laughs> sometimes that's how you got to be. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. I totally forgot to ask Tom where you guys can connect with him. So I will have everything listed in the show notes. I have his Instagram. I have his email. If you have any questions for him or you just want to reach out and let him know that you loved learning more about him, I think that would be so great. 
as always if you have not yet rated or reviewed the show on itunes please do my lovely angel human i would appreciate it so much i have big plans for mudlark this year and i want us to reach as many people as humanly possible this is what's going to help get the show into more ears and more hearts and i'm just so grateful when you can take the time to do that so i love you all so very much have the most wonderful rest of your day i will see you next week bye